We saw a little bit of everything over the weekend in round five of the NRL Telstra Premiership. Hi, everybody. This is Take Me Now. I've seen it all once again with Warren Smith and Matt Russell. Matty, today we'll be talking about coaching joy. We'll be talking about coaches Johnson's. <laughs> we'll also be having a little bit of rock and roll, a bit of Aussie glam rock. We had a new segment on the show. We need some music, and I'm introducing some music on today's show. Joy and Johnson, did you ever think, did you ever think we'd be talking about a coach's nether regions right here on a podcast? No, I didn't, but Rugby League will never, ever cease to surprise me, amaze me. And are we going to get into that now? Was do you want to go below the belt no, straight away? I'm going to start on something a little bit more footy-orientated, a little Good. bit more Good. Uh, positive, perhaps. I want to talk to you about your weekend because you were over there at Mount Smart Stadium in Auckland for the uh, the double header. Wow, what an occasion as well. We were talking it up last week on the show. Tigers versus the Storm, Warriors versus the Cowboys, and it lived up to the hype. Let's have more of it. The crowd was fantastic. I went out during the day with Daryl Halligan. We were in a a cafe having brunch, and the amount of Warriors people who came over to us, I don't know whether they're new to the bandwagon, I suspect so, but how well are the Warriors going? They'd say, what about this player? What about that player? We're going this afternoon. I've been a lifelong fan. They were everywhere, but sure enough, come kick off in that second game, it was nearly a full house. It was advertised as a sellout. There were only a sprinkling of, of spare seats. 25,600 people, making it the biggest crowd, I'm told, at Mount Smart Stadium since the inaugural game for the Warriors in 95 against Brisbane. Great atmosphere, and boy, the home side certainly delivered. Racing ahead, 18-0 in the end. They did it relatively comfortably as the Cowboys struggled again. It was just the completion of a great afternoon slash evening in Auckland. I was a bit concerned because the start of the Tigers-Storm game, and obviously the crowd is going to build up for Game 2 when the Warriors are playing against the Cowboys, but it was raining earlier in the afternoon and the standard of footy wasn't that great between the Tigers and the Storm given the slippery surface, and I thought, oh, this is going to spoil the occasion. Maybe the crowd won't be as big, but they turned out in massive numbers um, and... You know, the Tigers' storm turned out to be fairly gripping, didn't it? <laughs> oh, what about Benji Marshall? He's kicked 14 field goals across 14 different games now and won the whole lot. So when Benji slots a point, his side doesn't lose, using stats as an indication. He was good. The Tigers were rock solid again. But Melbourne, oh, Melbourne, they really crucified themselves. What about this? You go through it. When young Tonomapaya makes a bus support inside and out, he goes it alone. Try bombed. Josh Adokar has a brain snap, throws the ball back to the Tigers who score through Josh Alloyer. Melbourne stuff up a kickoff, and in the next sentence, Chris Lawrence scoring. And then at the end, with the game still there to be won, the crossfield kick was going to sit up for Josh Adokar. The bounce of the ball beats him. So Melbourne Storm fans will look back at that and say, we got beaten by a point. How the hell were we down or within contact still the Tigers? We should have been well clear. It's probably symptomatic of where Melbourne is right now. It's not in control of the games like they have been in the past. Yeah, and the, the storylines coming off the back of that game are always intriguing when you talk about a team who's expected to win and then they lose and they become the story, not the team that wins. We see that you know all the time. Um, had the Melbourne Storm gone into that contest um, having won four games, we're talking about this being as the upset of the season. Yeah. But the form line really, and we mentioned this last week, I, you, know, you tipped the Storm because you thought it was going to be a pretty tight game. Well, it turned out to be an extremely tight game. 
But I just thought, you know, going back to the show last week when I said that Dale Finucane being out and Will Chambers being suspended, as it also turns out as well, you know, Dale Finucane takes a lot out of the Melbourne Storm. And, I, you know, I guarantee with him there, I think they just hang on. But then Dale Finucane can't get inside Josh Adokar's head and stop him from producing one of the howlers of the weekend, and we saw some pretty good howlers over the weekend, but I think that was the best of the best. Well, the best part of our job as commentators, especially when it comes to the NRL, is we just don't know what's going to happen. You can come up with your predictions, and you were very accurate when you predicted what was going to happen between the Tigers uh, and Melbourne last week. You said it to be a similar scoreline to when they met in round two. It certainly was. But you just don't know what's going to happen through these games. And that makes a good competition, doesn't it? For me, the big question out of the game now for Melbourne is what are they going to do with Brodie Croft? Uh, there were lots of errors around him on the weekend. He's no Cooper Cronk, and we don't expect him to be right now. But clearly, he is affecting the Melbourne Storm. Do they stick with him and persist with him? Or do they bring in Riley Jackson and say, Brody, go and get some confidence in the lower grades? That's up for Craig Bellamy with 400 games of experience under his belt now to decide on. But, uh, yeah, just one of the intriguing parts of Melbourne to come in the weeks ahead. I was talking to Craig Bellamy in the lead-up to last year's finals, and at that stage, Cooper Cronk hadn't said anything about what he was going to be doing in 2018, whether he was staying at Melbourne, uh, whether he was moving on. Well, actually, no, we knew he was moving on, but we didn't know where he was moving on to at this point. So, correct myself there. And he said, we offered Cooper Cronk the chance to miss the first two months of the season to stay in Sydney while his now wife Tara Russian worked on the A-League coverage of Fox Sports and the, the football in general. And then once that was over, they could both go down to Melbourne and he would play out the rest of the season. Having started in round eight or round nine, that's how desperate they were to keep Cooper Croft. Now, Brodie Croft, and I've got a massive rap on Brodie Croft, he's going to be a very very good player, but they still wanted Cooper Cronk uh, to be in Melbourne in 2018, and given what he's done so far with the Roosters, you can see why. Yeah, and, and you know you don't want to ride Brody too hard. He's a young rugby league player under a lot of pressure, given the person he's replacing, but on the weekend, there were a lot of uncharacteristic errors from Melbourne, and a lot of them came in close proximity to Brody, and, and the crisis of confidence seemed to grow as the game went on, and as a result, the Tigers... Uh, they couldn't pull away from the Tigers, and in the end, the Tigers were good enough to pinch it. We're, we're talking about Melbourne here, but we probably should praise West's Tigers for their defensive effort through the first five weeks. You know, absolutely fantastic. When you look at their four and against, you have, you have a chuckle. They're, they're four and one. Uh, not scoring a lot of points, but the sides against them aren't scoring a lot of points either. Well, they have the best defence in the NRL. 55 points scored against them. Better than the Dragons, better than the Warriors, better than the Panthers. It's unbelievable because... To be ranked number one after five rounds, I'll, I'll take you through the Tigers' rankings defensively over the past six seasons. Last year, they were 13th. year before that, they were 15th. They were 12th, 15th, 15th, and 12th, going all the way back to 2013. Yeah. I mean, this is off the charts. Where's it come from? To go from? from almost last to first as far as defence. And it tells you all you need to know about rugby league and how you win games. Invariably, the team that wins the premiership or wins the minor premiership is the best defensive team in the competition. Now, part of the way you stop teams from scoring points is also being good with the ball and maximising your effectiveness with the ball. But when you haven't got the ball, you have to be able to stop teams from scoring. That's pretty obvious. The Tigers haven't gone close to doing that for a decade. Mm. Plus, from 2005 onwards, they made the, could have made the grand final in 2010, 
But outside of those two years, you go from 06 to 09, and then from 2011 to up until the end of last year, they were diabolical defensively. And at some point, the penny had to drop. It looks as though, under Ivan Cleary, and they've got some big bodies in the forward pack for a change because... You know, they could skew towards being midgets in the forward pack for quite a while there, the Tigers, and they had a small team pretty much across the field. Um, They suddenly look like a team who can be a contender. And if you can do that through five rounds, you can keep doing it because they're not not doing it off the back of trick shots and, you know, just off-the-cuff plays down the short side or chip chases. They're doing it on defence, and defence wins games consistently. We can throw the Warriors in there as well, and interestingly, the Warriors and the Tigers hadn't been in the final since 2011, the longest drought of any of the current clubs, and on the back of their defence this season, there they are sitting pretty in the top four. Just back to that Tigers four and against, so 68 points four, 55 against, plus 13, and they're four and one. As you've just said, defence, defence, and defence, and then worry about Attack after that. You go back a couple of years and the, and the Sharks won a competition exactly mm. that way. Their attack wasn't much to write home about, but they had outstanding defence. They won a premiership. So you, it can be done. Okay. Um, let's move on. Or let's move backwards, in fact. We'll save Wayne Bennett and Nathan <laughs> Brown for one further moment. I want to take you to Thursday night. The Raiders and the Bulldogs. GIO Stadium. There I am in the commentary box. And a song that takes me back to my youth starts blaring out across the stadium. Listen to this, and I'll tell you more in a moment. That is Hush. A glam rock band from the 70s. They used to play on Countdown all the time back when I was a kid on Sunday nights watching Molly Meldrum introduce Hush and Sherbet and John Paul Young and everybody else. Uh, Marsha Hines, you name it. Olivia Newton-John was on there as well. Was how the hell is this relevant? Hush. I've got to tell you about Hush. A glam rock <laughs> band. They had the long hair. They were unbelievable. I mean, they were as good as it gets as far as that glam rock era in the 70s. They weren't AC. They were different to ACDC that was more an Aussie pub rock. You know, this was all more like Gary Glitter, I guess, who had his issues later in life, (laughs) as it turns out. But the lead guitarist from Hush is a guy called Les Gock. Now, Les has made a lot of money, I'm guessing, by having a music studio on the lower North Shore here in Sydney, not far from where we actually produce this podcast at at Fox Sports HQ. But Les... Being a, a long-time muso and a songwriter and has produced... I couldn't tell you the number of songs and, and ads that Les has been a part of. He also, would you believe it, wrote this next song. Listen to this. We're bad and me, the green machine. We hit them hard. Les Gock of Hush from my youth in the 1970s wrote, We are the bad McGreen machine. Can you believe it? No, I can't. I cannot. And I don't know how on earth you were able to spot that and add one and one together and get two. Because I'm sitting there in the commentary box thinking, why on earth is Boney Maroney, the song we first heard, blaring out across GIO Stadium here in Canberra? What's the connection? 
And I jump on the phone and find out that Les Gock is here. He's going to blow the horn before the Viking clap, before the game starts. And he also wrote the club song. And I love that club song. I think that's the best club song in the business. I was about to say, hear it, it, hear it, hear it again. Where's the bad and mean green machine? Fearsome man from ACT. Don't try and stop these men in green. Because they'll hit you. Come on, Matty. Hit you. Hit you. To you, green. How good. You know, Nathan Les Gosh, you're to a sing legend. That when he went down to Canberra, he used to sing it as an opposing player. But that is fantastic. <laughs> Did he oh, yeah. really? That would have to be what top four, top six in terms of club songs. You think? Oh, stop Glory, the glory best. to South Sydney, up, up, Cronulla. But in terms of just catchy lyrics, and you can't help but sing along. No, I'm no, with Hindy. I've always been a massive fan of the Green Machine, <laughs> written by Les Gock. You learn something new. All the time, don't you? I'm picturing you in your lounge room, a.k.a. Um, you know Tom Cruise in his undies. <laughs> to hush, was. And I'm looking at you in a different light right now, let me tell you. You know, if I'd walked out in the lounge room on a Sunday night at 6 o'clock watching Countdown in my undies, <laughs> there would have been drama in the Smith Hole household. Hey, uh, from Les Gock to Wayne's uh, meltdown yeah, with uh, to Wayne's Nathan. Um, <laughs> Saturday night. Off the back of your doubleheader in yeah. New Zealand and then the Knights beating the Broncos in what turned out to be a fairly gripping last 10 or 15 minutes of that encounter. You know, I pretty much watched our post-show after the game with Yvonne Sampson and Brandy and everybody and, and uh, saw the Wayne Bennett press conference, thought nothing more of it. Thought it was time for bed. I'll uh, hit the cot early. Got a big day tomorrow to call the, uh, the uh, Eels, of course, playing the Panthers. I wake up in the morning, first thing, and Twitter has exploded with what happened at the Newcastle press conference when Nathan Brown turns up and says what he said about if Wayne had been thinking with his big head and not his little head while he's here, I wouldn't have had to unbuild or then rebuild the Newcastle Knights. Now, there's always been a bit of larrikin in Brownie. And after he heard Wayne say what he said, after the captain's run at his annual, his weekly uh, press conference after the, the last Broncos training session of the week, where he said, you know, that, you know, Brownie's going okay. He had to unbuild the club, and then there's my Wayne impersonation. <laughs> unbuild the club, and then, you know, rebuild the club. You're about 10 times more animated than Wayne, even when you're trying <laughs> to be Wayne was. I can understand why, why Nathan Brown took offence. But, you know, there's always there's a bit of larrikin in Brownie, and I reckon there's a touch of Paul Hogan in him also. Because I reckon he's heard Wayne's comments and thought, that's not a knife. I'll talk about Wayne's Woody. <laughs> yeah. That's a knife. Yeah. yeah. That was a knife, wasn't it? It was, you know, and I've heard people say he overstepped the mark and it's gone too far. I'm not so inclined to agree with that. I'm not about to bag a coach who comes out and actually says what he's thinking, who lets a bit of emotion shine through. It's a hell of a lot better than trotting out the same tired cliches week in, week out. The bottom line is Nathan thought that Wayne Bennett had given him a little backhander and Wayne said, you know what? I'm not just new to this game anymore. I'm a big boy in the coaching world as well. Wayne, straight back at you. And as you said, you want to bring a knife to this fight? Well, I'll produce the Uzi, and I'm going to spray everyone in the room and make sure that Wayne knows not to mess with me again. I love it. More of it, please. It's polarised a lot of people, obviously, around the NRL because, you know, it's it's going to an area where no coach has trodden before. Um, is it a reflection of the times we live in? I mean, Brown's got very personal in a way that wouldn't have been countenance not that long ago. And we live in, a age where, in an age rather where it seems like nothing 
is off limits. You know, it's a hot take society. You've got to have an opinion now, right now. And you've got to be outraged. What are you, you've got to be outraged. We live in an outraged times. I yeah. mean, you know, times have changed when we're starting to talk about Wayne's wanger, haven't they? <laughs> We've come a long, long way, yes. But, you know, it was marginally personal. He didn't uh, talk about wife, kids, you know, uh, drag but, other but people it, into but it, it but necessarily. it brings them into it without, I guess, actually mentioning them in a way, doesn't it? it, it yeah, bring, but the story is well known. You know, here at Fox Sports, we parody Wayne Bennett week in, week out by putting him on Hugh Hefner's bed surrounded by a bevy of beauties. What are we pointing at? We're pointing at exactly the same thing and laughing yeah. at it. So we can't really be outraged if Brownie goes down a similar line. He did so aggressively, but with, a, with an element of subtlety. That'll sound strange. I, I just thought it was purely directed at Wayne saying that, hey, if you want to come in with a little jab to the guts. I'm going to come in with a flurry of lefts and rights and let you know that I'm not going to be messed with. I loved it. Bring, yeah. bring it on more, please. Yeah, I mean, in an, in, like I say, in a, in a previous time, 10 or 15 years ago, I think it, more people would have been offended that you've, hey, boy, you've really, you've really crossed the line there. And some people, as we said, uh, think that he has crossed the line by going, uh, talking, you know, below the belt and then yeah. bringing everything in as far as uh, the family, uh, not the... Nathan Brown mentioned Wayne Bennett's family, but you know that's where you're sort of going to by alluding to the, mm. his marriage breakup, blah blah blah, and not focusing on the job at hand uh, while he was in Newcastle. Um, I don't think anybody's going to be messing with Nathan Brown anytime no. soon, though, because no. and you know as you say, good on him if he wants to go there. He's fully entitled to go there. You can think of him what you will uh, as a result, but you know um, he was obviously pretty well cut by what Wayne said. And and he wasn't going to t- wasn't going to cop it. I'm intrigued to see where it goes this week because Wayne Bennett is under pressure at Brisbane on a number of fronts. Here's an opportunity to say, right, oh, how am I going to handle this situation and make a statement that can then flow on to all the other criticisms that are coming my way. Remember when Gordy Tallis was at a stage in his career where he was being challenged and, and niggled a little bit by opposition players, and he thought. Thought, said to Wayne, there's only one way to fix this. I'm going to get someone, and I'm going to thrash him. And that was Ben Ross. And <laughs> and maybe maybe Wayne is in a similar situation right now. You know, everyone's starting to come at me. The criticism is growing. There's a wave coming at me. Maybe he could take a leaf out of Gordy's book and say, right, best way to stop all this is to say, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not past it. I'm not over the hill. And, and if you mess with me, you're still going to pay a price. So I'm intrigued to see whether he comes out and goes even harder back at Nathan Brown. The sad point out of it all is that Newcastle and Brisbane don't play again this season, unless, of course, it's in the finals. Wouldn't it be good to see them head-to-head in five weeks again, like we've seen a few clubs this season so far? If you're setting a market about either of those teams making the top eight right now, you'd be saying Newcastle are, well, you know, they'd probably be even money. And the Broncos, they'd be odds mm. against, yeah. wouldn't they? Because, you know, we've mentioned, we probably mentioned them every week uh, on the show so far. They've been a constant storyline. But... Take away the try was denied. Scott Bolton with a goalpost pad getting in the way when he was about to score. And the Cowboys going to win the game. Um, you know they're one and four. And if they if they don't win against the Tigers, even if they get a draw, mm. they're, they're one draw and four losses after five rounds. I mean their form line is shaking. We said, did the goalpost pad paper over the cracks of the Broncos? Well, yeah. They did at the time. There's no question. They've been saved by a controversial Golden Point refereeing decision and the footy post. Otherwise, they're on five. Mm. And they've got two wins, but there's still problems there. It's remarkable, isn't it? Because, you know, they've got everything they need. They've got a football department where they can spend, and now in a football department there's going to be a cap coming in. There's a soft cap 
uh, for 2018, but it's going to be a more of a hard cap in, in seasons to come. So the idea is to bring teams back to the field and spread the, the talent and what you can spend off the field. And, you know, salary caps and football department caps, you might be a critic of them and say in a free market, why do the players have to have their total salaries limited? Look at the table. The Dragons are on top, the Warriors are second, the Panthers are third, the Tigers are fourth, the Gold Coast are sixth, Newcastle is seventh. That's all you need to know because Mm. that sort of change in the table doesn't happen in competitions like the English Premier League and other places around the world where they don't have a salary cap and it's the same three or four or five teams fighting out the top four or five spots every year. I said it yesterday. The top four includes three teams who weren't in the finals last year and the fourth team was under the pump pre-season, going to have the first coach sacked. The Merchants of Doom were lining up. So there you go. It's, it's fantastic. We were at that game yesterday. was uh, ANZ Stadium. And Penrith did it again. The Eels close, but not good enough. And sitting sideline, I was given a, a great window into how tough the life of a rugby league player could be. Tepai Moroa, named to start. Instead, he came off the bench, went to go on. Tim Manor was Sinbin, so Tepai then walked up and down the sideline for about eight, nine minutes before he eventually got onto the ground, got knocked out, cleared the dizziness during the halftime break, came back on, got split again, off under another HIA rule, so out of the game, his team beaten. It was a tough, tough day for Tepai Moroa, and it goes to show that when it's not rolling your way, it can be a brutal, brutal game, rugby league. Really tough way to make a quid, um, and you can make a lot of money out of playing rugby league, obviously at the elite level, but they earn every cent. Don't ever think that the players don't earn every cent of what they get out of playing the game for what is a fairly brief period over the course of their life. There are players... In the NRL, and Tepai Moroa, as you mentioned him, is one of them. I really, given everything we now know about concussion and CTE and what's happening you know, around the world in the NFL, where they've sort of led the way on this, um, and there's been massive lawsuits settled over there, and there'll be more to come. There's talk there'll be lawsuits over here in the NRL and maybe other football codes as well. But, you know, when you see a player have, that's twice in one game he's, he's been knocked in the head. Um, he's had a number of them already in what is a fairly short career to this point. And there are other players like him. Um, you just sort of wonder at what point does somebody say to them, you know what, you can make a lot of money playing this game, but given what we now know, you want mm. to think about maybe, you know, whether it's worth it. What you know, We're seeing the after effects of, of players. Um, you know, good mate Mario Fennec has battled with the after effects of his footballing career now, and, and he's on medication, has been for some time. And Mario isn't the same bloke that he was. It's just, you know, there's no no getting around it. Mario isn't the same fellow that he was. And, and you would have to think that what happened during the concussions he took during his playing career have caused this. And every time I see a young player now have two or three or four, sometimes over a period of a season or more, um, you know, I really worry, and you wonder where we're going with contact sports. Um, it's an issue. They're about to bring in new rules in the NFL that you can't make first contact with your helmet to an opposing player. Whether you are carrying the ball or defending the ball carrier, you mm. can't use your helmet as the first point of contact. Now, that's going to force a massive change in that game. We've made changes already as far as the rules in the NRL are concerned. And the game will continue to evolve because it will, you know, people and the way we watch our sport and we won't want to see players continually being concussed like that. 
it will change. I don't know how it how it evolves in rugby league, but I know it will evolve. Yeah, There's well, no question. Yeah, one of the great hypocrisies now is you can't shoulder charge, fine. But if you're the ball carrier, you can tuck your arm in by your side and lean in with your shoulder, basically a shoulder charge in attack. So there's one area going down the track we might see there'll be an injury, be a significant in- incident like there was when Greg Inglis hit Dean Young. There'll be something like that with, with the ball carrier doing the damage and that'll be an area that comes under the scrutiny. That's where the game might evolve uh, at the risk of moving away from a very serious and, and important point right there was. On the same field yesterday as Tepai Moroa, Jimmy Maloney, who's not a big bloke, but has been able to avoid injuries and contribute to so many clubs. I sat there yesterday sideline just marvelling at the control, his skill, his goal kicking now, 29 straight. And he's the backup kicker, supposedly, to Nathan Cleary. But, you know, for, for every player who has a tough trot, there's a bloke like Jimmy Maloney who is succeeding probably against the odds, you know, given his size and uh, given, given what could have happened to him earlier on in his career. It's a joy to watch Jimmy Maloney achieve the form he is right now. And interestingly, he had a really long and uh, light-hearted chat with Freddie Fittler after an on field interview post-game, and I thought they'll be doing a lot more talking come June, July, I suspect. They might well be, uh, because his form will dictate, given you know, the paucity of New South Wales halves for a long time now, that James Maloney will be right there in the reckoning to be either the six or the seven, depending mm. on the makeup, or the way Freddie wants to... I mean, it doesn't really matter these days. I mean, the six and the seven play in a lot of teams the same role. One plays left, one plays right. In other teams, you do have a player who's more a pivot, an old-school pivot, who plays off the first receiver. But um, James Maloney, it's the rare thing where he doesn't finish a game with blood trickling down his forehead or something. He, 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 yeah. he has a cut in the mouth, a bleeding nose, a cut on his eyebrow or something. He does it tough. Last week, he belted Cohen Hess, forced a turnover. Yesterday, he did the same thing. Was it to Nathan Brown? Forced, forced the mistake from him. I mean, he, he just stands up every week and he's... 83 kilograms, I think he's officially listed at. I wouldn't be surprised if he's actually a bit lighter. <laughs> yeah, and you're right. he is as game as they come. And you've got to really admire how tough he can be, given the monsters. He's giving away, at least at times, 40 kilograms to some of the biggest men in the game. Half his body weight, again, they well, are bigger than him. Yeah. And he stands up and whacks them. It's a nice segue into the discussion I was going to have. As a commentator was, I know you've got a man crush with what, Les Gock, is it? But, Les uh, Gock. But with, with players on the field, you just can't help but warm to some. We've said last week, we're not for some teams and against other teams. We're not for some players and against other players. But there are some players who you develop, for want of a better word, a man crush on. And I've, I've loved watching Michael Gordon play rugby league across different clubs. And yesterday, I marvelled again. He makes a break for the Titans and, and no doubt runs out of a bit of oxygen. Next thing, takes two or three breaths back, and he's got big Adam Fanua Blake running at him. It's a bit like one of those police riot squad Humvees thundering towards a mini miner. And I thought, Michael, you're the mini miner here. What on <laughs> earth are you going to do? Because I'd be looking for reverse or get me out of here. He just climbed aboard Adam Fanua Blake, pulled him to ground on top of him, forearm across the throat. And I thought, that's why I love Michael Gordon, because he does that week in, week out, and has done for years. Kicks goals, scores tries. Unassuming bloke, always seemingly happy. Um, has had success. I, I love watching him play. And I, I know it was almost going to be end time after the Roosters said we'll go in different directions, but I'm glad he's gone back to the Gold Coast where he's home and uh, he's continuing on with the Titans very well. He was going back to play with his mates yeah. up there on the Tweed Coast yeah. um, for a case of beer a game. <laughs> Apparently was the match fee. Instead, there he is, Adam Fanua Blake pouring down the field. Yeah. 
Oh, my God. What am I going to do here? He makes the tackle and uh, helps them, you know, win the game. Your man crush? My man crush, before I move on. My man crush. You know, I've always been a massive Billy Slater fan. Yeah. I called his first game and uh, heard, heard all about him. He scores that incredible try out of dummy half, which we've seen a bit of this year, given he's played his 300th game just only a few weeks ago. Um, you know, I've loved watching Billy play. Um, you know, this, this might be a bit left field, but Chris Hyington. Oh, yeah. You know, yep. there's only, you know, not that many 30, whatever it is now, 31. 30, how so, many 300 gamers do we have? Oh, sorry, age-wise. Uh, you're talking about games-wise. Yeah, yeah 31, 31 300, games. 300 gamers. Chris Hyington is one of them. Mm. A fellow who used to drive down from or get public transport from the Central Coast to try and get a start at the Tigers. It's one of the greatest rugby league stories. Oh, the efforts incredible. he went to, to yeah. trial, to get a start. You know, gets, gets Beat a start. Beat the bushfires. It, exactly. One, on one occasion, <laughs> had to outrun the bushfires to make it to training to try and get a, a game yeah. with the West Tigers. It doesn't have you know, a lot of ability compared to Jonathan Thurston and you know, the likes of players, Andrew Johns and others he's played against over the course of his career. Darren Lockyer could reel them off. But there he is. He's played 300 games. He's tough. He, he makes massive metres. He averaged 150 metres per game off the bench. He almost scored last year for the weekends. He scored and then he almost went over again in the week game just gone against the Bronx, which would have been, hang on, what's going on? The world really has gone crazy if he scores twice in two weekends because he'd been on such a try-scoring drought. But I'm with you. Chris Hyndon, that's a good nomination. Yeah. He's a massive overachiever given the, you know, what he's been able to physically been able to bring to the table as far as pure rugby league skills. Mm. But it shows you it was a great game because there's a place for all sorts of body shapes and all sorts of skill sets, uh, and you can't replace what's inside yeah. the jumper. Um, yeah. He's got plenty of ticker, and uh, I love watching Chrissy uh, go around. Well said. Well now, said. before we move on from that game between the Titans and the Seagulls, and we mentioned the Josh Adokar howler oh. <laughs> in the oh. game against the Tigers over there in Auckland, which you were calling, Lachlan Croker, speaking yeah. of concussions, yeah. Yeah. Gets, gets a whack on the jaw and a tackle, Goes off, has the HIA, comes back on. At some point, I think the new part of the HIA test when they're back in the dressing room has to be <laughs> spin a player around three times in a phone box and ask him to play the ball in the right direction. Uh, because that was the best concussion test you've ever seen. It was. It was. And if that was the test, as Neil Henry said in commentary, he fails. But I, I would like to think that it's because he was just tossed around in the tackle and got a little bit giddy as opposed to the fact that he's brain was still spinning after the knock. I think he just lost his compass, as Vossi said in commentary, and uh, didn't know where north and south were. That was one of the other howlers. Maybe, I think probably Josh Adokar takes the cake, but right up there in the Olympic final for howlers in round five of the NRL was Sean Kenny oh. Dow. Now, we could probably name the howler of the year, the Sean Kenny Dow trophy, we could we? Because, it, boy, there have been some... Over the years, you go back a couple of seasons when he play, throws that long pass in the semi-final against the Broncos up there at Suncorp Stadium. Darius Boyd comes through, takes the intercept and scores the try and the Roosters get blown out by the Broncos in that particular game. But there he is. They're on top. They're doing things pretty well. They've just scored. The kickoff's coming from the Brisbane Broncos. He's on the dead ball line. And it's coming towards him, and he's like, will I catch it? Do I leave it? Will I catch it? Do I leave it? Will I catch it? Oh, my God, I'll get out of the way. And boom! <laughs> Whacks me right uh, on the chest, and they yeah. force a goal line dropout, and the Broncos suddenly 
a right back in the game. It was the SKD moment of SKD moments. Well, you know what? The three initials are so apt. SKD, not too far away from Skid, and SKD has a couple of skids at times, doesn't he, during his uh, career. But that's why we love him, because if they were all robots, if they all did what they were expected to do all the time, we'd sit in our commentary box and go, well, we know what's going to happen here, we know what's going to happen here. But there are some players in the league who think, hang on, hold on, what's going to happen here? And SKD is one of those players. <laughs> it was unbelievable. It's one like I can get fairly animated. Surprisingly, you wouldn't believe this. <laughs> but what's sitting at home on a Saturday night if I'm not calling, just watching a game, something like that happens, you just think, Boy, I wish I was in the commentary <laughs> box right now, because you'd be exploding. Yeah. And my kids can be in other rooms of the house and they'll come running in and say, What's going on in here? What are you doing, you lunatic? Do you have You're a screaming swear jar? and uh, do, do, no. Do you, are you well behaved? I try well as far as the swear jar is concerned, I try and keep a lid on that at, okay. at home. I'm pretty yes, good. I'm pretty good for the most part. Yeah, okay. Um that sort of that's as the kids get older, there's mm. a, a couple of important. Couple I, I little respect ones you there, was. I have had the odd laps, and, and Cindy, my wife, has to come in and remind the fact that we've got kids in the house, and right. um, I need to tone it back a little bit. But, you know, you, while we have a crack at the likes of SKD there with that incident, I, I, in the Mount Smart game, Tui Lolo here fields a field goal attempt from Brody Croft and has the wherewithal to know that, hang on, if I catch this with my foot in the in goal, it will give us a seven-tackle set, and he did it perfectly. To know that was the rule, to know he was close enough to the in goal, to do it all, I'll admit it, it really surprised me. I thought, Tui, that is showing you know, real footy now. And sure enough, that was the set that Benji then, on his uh, advance, slotted the winning point. Yep. So well done, Tui. There's a bit of a grey matter for you. Heads up piece of play. That was last week. Before we wrap up today's show, let's take a quick look at what's happening in round six of the NRL. We'll kick it off with the Roosters and the Rabbitohs. The old rivalry, the neighbours, Allison Road separates them. The Roosters on one side, the Rabbitohs on the other side, playing at Allianz Thursday night. Um, the Rabbitohs uh, having won just the two games from five so far. And without Sam Burgess, I'm going to say the Roosters will... Get the cash in this game, but I'm hoping that the Rabbitohs fans respond. They get there. There's a big crowd at Allianz Stadium. It deserves 30,000. Now, it probably won't get 30,000 given it's a, a Thursday night, but I'm hoping for a really big crowd, and I'm thinking there's going to be a, it's going to be a great game. Was the Roosters will get their 100th win against the Rabbitohs in this game. That'll be the century up for the Roosters against their arch rivals. You're calling it. I wonder whether you are going to get another take me now. <laughs> I have seen it all moment because these are the teams that provided the name of this great podcast. Back in round 19 of 2012, you're exactly right. I did a little piece for the Rabbitohs uh, website coming up uh, in leading up to this game. So you Rabbitohs fans can go Jump on there. Jump online. Rugby League fans, check it out this week. I, I think that'll be up there at some stage on their website in the lead-up to this game on Thursday night. Uh, Roosters for me, Roosters for you also. Yep. yep. Now, moving on to Friday, the Storm and the Knights. This one down there at uh, Amy Park. This is a really tough game to tip. No, it's not. Melbourne at Amy Park, off back-to-back wins. No Mitch Barnett for Newcastle, off back-to-back losses, I'm sorry. The Storm, they will be hell-bent on beating Newcastle, and they will do so pretty comfortably, Was Pretty comfortably? Fear not. No, nah, the Storm, they can't have as much bad luck as they had last weekend. They don't suffer those sort of runs when it comes to defeats very easily. They'll win this. I'm going to tip them, but boy, by a couple of points. Because I think the Knights are playing really good footy and the the Storm, you know, they've got issues. Cameron Smith came out after the game 
last week and said, you know, until our players just learn, respect the football, mm. we just can't keep giving away the football. If we keep doing that, we'll continue to lose. He said there's no secret to it. If we just keep giving handing over possession and not getting through our sets, we will continue to lose. He made no bones about it. I think maybe like the Raiders, who finally produced a good performance last week against the Bulldogs on Thursday night, I'm going to say the Storm, there really will be some soul-searching this week, and I think they will get the job done, but only just, because I think the Knights are a legitimate team. I think they're a top-eight team. They're certainly sitting in the top-eight at the moment, and I think they can be a top-eight team once we get to the end of 26 rounds. Uh, This is a nip-and-tuck affair for mine. The Storm, just... Dragons and the Sharks for the second time this season. It's a few anomalies in the draw. We've seen the Tigers and the Storm play twice in the first five rounds. Same, the Eels and the Panthers twice in the first five rounds. Now, twice in the first six, the Dragons and the Sharks meet. This one down there at Wynn Stadium in Wollongong, the second game on Friday night. The Dragons, you can't go past them. No, if you're on a winner, you stick to it. Dragons in the gong, they're 5-0, and they'll be 6-0 and and maybe setting up that Game against the Warriors the following weekend by staying unbeaten. Back to the draw quickly last Friday. We had a game in Cronulla followed by a game in Cogra. Please. Now, nothing in Sydney on Saturday. There's a, a problem with the draw straight away. But, yep, the Dragons to keep it going. And uh, they had to come from behind against the Sharks when they met early this season, down 14-0. And Nene McDonald was the man to spark them. I reckon they'll lead all the way. And this one was Dragons to win. I think you're right. You're going to be back over in Auckland. Yeah, looking forward to it because if we get twenty, nearly 26,000 there last weekend, what do we get for Warriors-Broncos? Broncos traditionally providing the Warriors with their biggest home crowd. So anything could happen. They could go close to 30,000 this weekend at Mount Smart. So the atmosphere will be fantastic again. And how could you tip the Broncos? We've gone through their woes, two wins for them, but fortuitous to say the least. And the Warriors, they are just flying at the moment. I, I, I love... Their wingers, big bodies starting the set well. Isaac Luke finding career best form. Roger Tuavasa Shek. What about his try saving this season? Round one in Perth, he stops Johnston, I think it was, mm-hmm. in the most remarkable one on one try save. He's done it multiple times since then, again last weekend. He, he at the back, Green and Johnson in the halves, and then up front you've got forwards like Bunty, Afoa, Sam Lasoni, who might not bring big reputations, but they're bringing big performances. Simon Mannering made a good return. I, I can't find a problem at all with the Warriors at the moment. You've summed it up beautifully. We're only five weeks in, but the Warriors are playing such good football. I'm prepared to say the giant that they can be has finally awoken. Mm. After all these seasons, they've gone close a couple of times in the past to winning a premiership. But I think the rest of the NRL should be very, very scared. The one little asterisk you put above them, they're up for sale. There are new owners circling. And what do the new owners mean for the club? And what do they do to the club when they take control? It's a, a box that we've still got to see how it is open and how it unfolds at the Warriors. But that's a little area. Maybe just have a little bit of concern for them as the season goes on. If you're a new owner of the Warriors, you grab a couple of cigars, you sit there in the in the hires box in your wherever box it is at Mount Smart Stadium. It might be in Hawaii. Just, That's where they live. You just light them up, <laughs> just sit there smoking cigars, drinking fine cognac, watching your team uh, put other teams to the sword. Sounds because... like me in the commentary box. <laughs> is that right? Wow, that's different. <laughs> now, the Cowboys and the Bulldogs. I'm up there in Townsville to do this one. Um, you know, the Cowboys, oh, boy, they've got some issues, motivational issues. Um, Cliff Mallett is their resident psychologist. Um, from the University of Queensland, mm. and Paul Green utilises his services every now and again. I don't know if Cliff's been up there so far this year. If he hasn't been, 
I'm tipping he's on a plane at some stage between now and Saturday to have a chat to this team because they need to rediscover the joy of playing rugby league because it looks like it's not much fun at the moment for the Cowboys. Yeah, really tough for them. And JT punished by the Warriors. They just kept running at him and he kept recoiling out of the tackles, nursing that shoulder. I was really scared for him at one stage. It looked like the shoulder was hanging loosely by his side. I'm thinking, no, don't let this be the game that we say goodbye yeah. to JT. To his credit, he fights back and, you know, in the 78th, 79th minute, he's still throwing his body in front of big Warriors fans and I'm grimacing as I'm calling the action, thinking, JT, this looks really, really tough for you right now. So let's hope they can play on the front foot by JT, some room, and they're on a five-game winning streak against the Dogs, the Cowboys. I think they'll beat the Dogs in North Queensland. The Dogs may be to be without Josh Jackson, who has to go to the judiciary if he's to play. So the Cowboys, for me, was. So it's the home teams to this point of the round. Moving on to the Raiders and the Eels. Will we see for 80 minutes the excitement, the incredible jumping jack that is the coach of the Canberra Raiders, Ricky Stewart, the human pogo stick, up and down. What an emotional yo-yo he is. I mean, one week the players are soft and they don't deserve to wear the jumper. They should be ashamed to put the jumper on. And the next he's on the sideline jumping for joy, living and dying. The fans loved it down there. And well, Why wouldn't you? It's a great, great show in itself. But if you're a player and you're exposed to these emotional swings, these mood swings that Ricky obviously goes through through the course of a week and then a game... It's got to wear you down after a while, doesn't it? Well, you know, it's a great discussion point because um, through round five, Ricky was on the sideline bouncing around and Parramatta's Brad Arthur came down to the sideline second half. He had the shirt untucked, the tie was loose. He looked like a, you know, a boxing corner man, you know, as he rode the punches and the the changes of momentum. I love the theatre of Brad Arthur's sideline. And this weekend, we might have Ricky and Brad's sideline. Let's hope. Fox can have a few cameras there shooting the, the, the coaches. But if you're a player... Do you want your coach sitting like a cardboard cutout up in the box? Or do you want him down at the sideline, barking at you, punching the air, swinging his fists around? I think I want my coach sideline. I well, think that gets me going. If you're winning, no doubt. If you're losing, yeah. Didn't Anth- think of that, Anth- Anthony <laughs> Anthony Griffin is the human cardboard cutout. Wayne Bennett, not far from it. And Anthony's going pretty good at the moment, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, With the Penrith Panthers. So. What about him yesterday in the box? His team was uh, winning and, and doing well and... Looked like he'd just woken up from an afternoon nap. Yeah, he, he's a realist, though. <laughs> that, they didn't lead by much throughout <laughs> no. that game, even though, you know, I didn't really ever think that Para had the ability to score tries and snatch that game at the death. But, um, you know, he, he's like that where they're winning by 30 or 40. Just a lean forward on the table and a smack of the lip, something, something to say that, yeah. hey, you're not going to get that. I'm not thinking about Anthony. Powerball on Monday night. I agree. The Raiders will get the uh, Eels down there. The Panthers and the Titans. Um, some injury concerns coming out of the game yesterday for the Penrith Panthers with Wonga Blake. Mm. Um, but the Titans have their own issues. Uh, Ryan James looks like he's out of that game as well. Actually, no, he's been charged. So he's got to um, you know, beat the charge if he chooses to fight that. And he I has... think they've taken the early plea was. So right. Ryan James will miss a week. There you go. He's out for a week. So confirmed there. So I'm going to say the Panthers will continue on their good form against the Titans. Yep, yep. That's, uh, that's a given, I would have thought. And then, now are you at Sunday's uh, yes. clash between the Sea Eagles and the Tigers? Lotto Land, uh, Eagles, Tigers, and uh, I'd love to see the Eagles with Tommy Turbo Trebojevic providing his spark, but I don't know whether he can get back from that ankle injury to play this weekend. He, he was named in the squad for the game just gone, so they must have thought he was a chance. Well, he was pretty close, apparently. Well, so... maybe he will be there, and if yeah. he's there, doesn't that change the game? Um, Tigers... 
What about this? They've played um, nine times as a joint venture at Lotto Land. It's called Brookvale. And they've lost the last eight. Mm. So they won their first up and haven't won since. It's been a real bogey ground for them. And um, I've circled this one with a big question mark. I don't know. Because on some of the form we've seen from the Eagles at home, especially go they'll win, especially if Tommy plays. But on the road, not so good. I don't know. What do you reckon? Well, I tipped the Titans last week on the podcast to beat the Seagulls purely on the fact that Tom Travojevic wasn't going to be playing. Now, he went close to playing. I think he will play against the Tigers. And at home, as you mentioned, at Brookvale, I'm going to say that they will beat the Tigers because of Tom Travojevic being in the side. But if he has a setback and that ankle isn't as good as we think, mm. then I'm back on the Tigers to win that game because it's all Tom, Tom, and Tom some more as far <laughs> yeah. as the, the Seagulls' game plan is concerned. Yeah. If he plays... They can win any game. If he doesn't play, I don't know they can win too many. Well, and, and you've had a say there on the Sea Eagles. When it comes to the Tigers, I'm happy to fly the flag and say, I got it horribly wrong. I looked at their draw and I said, the Tigers will lose their first five games. They'll be the first team to crash out of contention. And Ivan will then spend the back end of the season rebuilding and remodelling and, and generating some more momentum for 2019. I was hopelessly wrong because the Tigers are 4-1. and one. They could easily be 5-0. and oh. They've filled me with admiration for what they've done. It's not a big name uh, skilled roster, but Ivan Cleary has that roster delivering big time. Congratulations to them. Wouldn't surprise me at all if they go to Lotto Land and win. That is the show. Next week, I'm hoping we're not talking about Wayne Bennett's Johnson. <laughs>